Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. I went back and looked at last sermon's, last Sunday's passage of scripture, and I'd like a do-over. Uh, there, there, there's something in there I forgot to highlight. There's something in there I forgot to mention. Uh, that's a good segue, Kip. <laughs> Uh, there's a phrase that I didn't really spend a lot of time on last week. Verse 23 of chapter 1 of Peter says this, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. The living and enduring Word of God. Notice what Peter says, how he describes the Word of God. He says it's living. This phrase in the original languages is in the present tense meaning it's continuously alive. Because it continues alive, it has contemporary relevance. It has power to change lives today, just as it did over 2,000 years ago. The writer of Hebrews worded it this way in Hebrews 4.12. He said, for the Word of God is living and active. The Word of God has the power because it's a living Word to transform lives, to change lives now. It's just as relevant now as it was all those years ago. He said not only is it a living word, he says it's an enduring, an enduring word. It means it's continuously alive and it goes on and on and on. It's, he gives this comparison in this passage. He compares the word of God with life in general. He says everything around us is in the process of dying. Everything. The moment you are born, you are in the process of dying. The only thing that lives forever, the only thing that endures is God's Word. Jesus said it this way, heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will never pass away. God's Word is living and God's Word is lasting. That means it is power. It has the ability to to speak today just as it did all those years ago. And then Peter says in verse 25 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, he said, this is the word that was preached to you. So Peter describes God's word to us. But I don't want to talk about uh, describing God's word. I don't want to talk about what God's word is. I want to talk about what God's word, God's word does for people today. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 22 through chapter 2. Verse 3, we'll go look at these words this morning under the heading, God's living and enduring word. Notice what Peter says, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have not been born again, not a, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
three simple truths I want to give you about God's Word. First, God's living and enduring Word saves people. I know what you're thinking. Oh, my Lord, the pastor has lost his mind. Uh, Now, let me just tell you, before you get all up in arms about that statement, I know that only God saves. I know that. But let me flesh this out for you. Let me explain where I'm going uh, with this so that you'll be on the same page. We know how we are saved. We know that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not of works. We understand that. We understand the process of salvation. We understand how God works, that we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. We know that. This is God's plan of salvation. But bear with me. Turn over to Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 13. As we look at how Paul begins to describe the salvation process, Uh, Chapter uh, 10 of Romans, verses 8 through 13. Listen to what he says. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone, that's the key word, everyone. Everybody say everyone. Everyone. It's like everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Y'all know that verse. You know that passage. Uh, God lays out his plan for the salvation of mankind. If we believe and we confess, we will be saved. If we believe in Jesus and we confess him, we will be saved. That is true for all people, no matter their race, no matter their culture, no matter their language, no matter their socioeconomic group. That word is true for all mankind. In spite of what other people might say, that is God's plan for salvation of mankind. Uh, That's it. Now, there are those who believe God reveals himself to some through Jesus. But God reveals himself to others differently. In other words, God will reveal himself to a Buddhist differently than he does to a Christian. God will reveal himself differently to a Hindu. He will reveal himself differently to a Muslim. But it's the same God that is speaking. Now we have a term for that. That is called universalism. Universalism means that everybody's going to be saved. They just may be saved differently. Let me throw out one question for you to consider. All right, one question. If there were other ways for people to be saved, do you really think that God would have sacrificed his own son? I don't think so. I don't think so. So this is the only way that people can be saved. That is God's plan. It's not man's plan. It is God's plan. God has ordained, God has elected, God has chosen that everybody who believes in that will be saved. That's his plan. You know that verse by heart. You probably have it underlined, circled, highlighted in your Bible. But we forget the next verses that lie after that. Look at verses 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Skip down to verse 17. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard 
through the Word of Christ. Don't get hung up on this idea of preaching. It's better to say, proclaim. That's what it says. It says that people are saved. How? When they hear the message proclaimed, when they hear the gospel presented to them, they respond to what they hear, they repent of their sins, they confess Jesus Christ as Lord, and then they're saved. That's the process. That's what Paul says. That's what the scripture says. That is God's, God has a plan. And as we understand God's word, as it's being proclaimed, people will be saved. Now let's go back to 1 Peter and look at what Peter dovetailing off this teaching. Notice what he says in the passage once again, verse 23. Well, you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through what? Through the living and enduring Word of God. You have been born again through the Word of God. And then he says, what, verse 25, and this is the Word that was preached to you. He said, we proclaimed this truth. We presented this truth to you. And because we presented this truth to you, it led to your salvation of receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. It's through the truth of God's Word that people are saved. They hear the Word of God. They are convicted of their sin. They're convicted of their need for a Savior. They repent of their sins and they turn to Jesus to receive salvation. It's through the proclaimed Word. Through the proclaimed Word. If no one's ever heard of Jesus, somebody has to go and present Jesus to them. It's through the proclaimed Word. No other book can do that. You can pick up a great history book and read about the history, but it will not save you. It will not lead you to salvation. It won't do it. That's why it says it's a living and it's an enduring Word of God. There's no other message there's no other message that can be presented that will lead people to salvation other than the Word of God that speaks. There's no other message that can do it. No other book has the ability to produce new life. No other book. Verse 22, it says, you've been purified yourselves, what? By obeying the truth. You've been cleansed. You've been purified by obeying the truth. Only truth, this is the only truth that sets people free is the truth of God's Word. It's the only truth that sets people free. That's why we go to battle for it. That's why we fight for it. That's why we say this is God's Word and we don't tamper with it. We don't try to change it to accommodate culture. We try to change our culture to accommodate the Scripture. Scripture is true and it rises above culture. It's always true. The Word of God has the ability to lead people to salvation. This fact is a timeless truth in the midst of troubling times that we can hang on to. That's why we fight for this Word and we stand by this Word because this Word endures. This Word is truth regardless of what the world says about it. So God's living and enduring Word saves people. God's living and enduring Word sanctifies people. It saves them, leads them to salvation, but then it sanctifies. It sanctifies is a good word of just saying it cleans people up. It cleans them up. Look at what he says in verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers. We have this initial cleansing of God's word 
God's Word becomes a, a cleansing agent. It's like Ajax or like Comet. Man, it, it cleans you up. It, it makes you, you pure. It makes you that way. It has the power to clean people's lives. As I thought about that, I said, I think this is the reason people don't like the Word of God. This is what I think. They're okay with salvation, but they don't want to change their life. They're okay with being saved, but they don't really want to have their life transformed. They don't want to get rid of their sinful lifestyle. They don't want to get rid of the things they value. They're okay with heaven, but they don't want to really be cleansed. They don't want to be sanctified. They don't want to be made holy. They don't want to live by the standard of God's truth. But Peter states, when we receive God's word into our heart, God does a sanctifying work. He forgives your sin. And then he begins a new work in your life as you obey the truth. Look at what he says in verse 22. He said, you've been purified yourself by obeying truth so that you have sincere love. You brothers... Here we come back. There's that word, so that, that phrase. Every time you read that, you're finding the proposition. You're finding the reason. He's, you've purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you can do what? So that you have sincere love for your brothers. He says, you're born again. It purifies your heart. And then God begins to put a heart of love in you. He says, teach people to have sincere love for others. We know that word, Sincere means real. It means real. Truthful. And the word deeply here, he says, since you have this sincere love, he says, love one another deeply. That word deeply means to overextend yourself. He says, since you have this sincere love, this love that comes from God, since you have that overextend yourself in demonstrating that love to others. Go the beyond. Jesus would say, go the second mile. Turn the other cheek. Give them your coat as well as your shirt. Give them everything. Overextend yourself in demonstrating your love. So you have this initial cleansing that God does in your heart, but then God starts to teach you how to love. And he starts telling you how to love. But it does not leave us out of the process. I know you wish it did. But you know, God has to work with flawed human beings. You know, we're still tainted by sin. We still have that mark on us. So we've been purified. We've been cleansed. And God begins to put a heart of love within us. But then he says, there's some things we have to do. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore... <laughs> There's that word, therefore. Therefore, what's that there for? Go back and look at what he just said. Because of this, what does he say? Rid yourselves of certain things. Get rid of certain things in your life. You have to allow God's word to speak to you. And as you allow God's word to speak to you, it will help you get rid of some things in your life. Peter mentions five things in this passage. The first thing he says, he says, rid yourselves of all malice. He doesn't say get rid of some malice. Get rid of part of malice. He goes, rid yourself of all malice. Get rid of everything within you. Malice is the, uh, the bitterness or anger that you have in your heart. For whatever that is, whatever you're bitter at, whatever you're angry at, Peter says, get rid of that malice. Remove it 
from your heart. Get rid of that malice. I remember reading the story of Leonardo da Vinci when he's painting his, his famous port, uh, portrait of the Last Supper, or his famous painting of the Last Supper, that he painted his enemy in the face of Judas Iscariot. <laughs> he said, I, I don't like this guy painting him. And then he came to paint the picture of Jesus last. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. And then he realized it's because he painted a picture of his enemy on Judas. He had to go and white out the face of Judas and change the picture of Judas before he could paint the picture of Christ. He had to rid himself of all that malice that he had toward his enemy before he could really see the image of Christ. Before he could really reveal the Jesus he was trying to open people up to. He says, get rid of all malice. And he says, get rid of deceit. He says, get rid of all malice and all deceit. The word used here for deceit is the phrase that we use to catch a fish with bait, like a lure, uh, a temptation. It's, it's trickery. Here's what Peter is saying. He says, get rid of all trickery in your life. Get rid of all the deception in your life, the way you try to deceive people, the way you try to trick people. Get rid of it. Just get rid of all the malice. Get rid of all the, the trickery, all the deceit. Then he goes on and says, get rid of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy should be all hypocrisy. It should be all envy, all slander. It, we should never get the idea that it's okay to hang on to a little bit of hypocrisy. <laughs> we, we know what hypocrisy means. Hypocrisy means you're pretending to be something you're not. You're, you're pretending uh, to do something. We know what that is. He said, don't pretend to be something you're not. Get rid of it. Then he says, not only get rid of all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy, he says, get rid of all envy. Here's what envy means. Envy is when you're jealous of what someone else has and you wish they did not have it. You are not happy at the good fortune of others. I have a friend of mine that we, we, we debate back and forth on, on that great social media network, uh, uh, Facebook. And we, we debate. We, we haven't seen each other for 40 years, but we, it's just like we haven't missed a beat. And he's way over here, and I'm, I'm not way over here, but I'm over here and he's way over here. And, and we're talking about that. His whole thing is that he doesn't understand why some people are allowed to have some things and other people aren't allowed to have those same things. I want to tell him, I said, I said, you need to get rid of envy. Just be happy that they have it. Be content. We need to be happy what we have. That's what he's talking about there. Be happy that others have been blessed and maybe you haven't been as blessed. Don't long for what they have. Be happy what God has given you. Learn to be content in all things. That's what Paul said. Whether rich in plenty or in nothing, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content. How do you do that? God teaches you how to be content. Finally, he says, get rid of all slander. Slander of every kind. Slander is those unkind things you say. It's those things you say behind people's back. God's Word has the power to sanctify your life. Hear me on that. God's Word has the power to sanctify your life, to cleanse your life of the things that shouldn't be in your life. None of these things, uh, these things we just talked about, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, none of those have a place in a loving heart. None of them. That uh, They should not coexist. They work contrary to a loving heart. You don't believe me? Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
Verse 4, Paul says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love. Love. He says, since you have this love, since you have this love that comes from Christ because He's put His heart within you, then you need to get rid of these things that hinder your ability to love people deeply. You need to do that. It's part of the process. Listen, here's what you need to grasp. God will sanctify you, but you have to do your part. God will fill your heart with love, but you have to get rid of those things that work against love. You have to put forth some effort. You have to do it seriously. Every time, listen, every time you read the Word of God, in a Sunday school class, in your quiet time, every time you read the Word of God, you need to ask yourself this question. Is there something I need to get rid of in regard to reading this Word? Is there a habit I need to change? Is there a condition I need to rectify? Is there a sin I need to get rid of? Is there something I need to do with this truth that God is revealing in His Word? Every time you read it, you ought to ask that question. Why? Because God's Word is living. And it's enduring. And it's trying to speak to you about what you need to do to cleanse your life so that you can love deeply the way He tells us to do it. You are to allow God's Word to change your life. Another truth. God's living and enduring Word sustains people. He says that God's living Word has sustaining power. And He's used the illustration of the Bible being like a seed which can produce life. Now He says the Word of God is like food to sustain life. Look at verse 2. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that it so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. The word pure here means unadulterated, nothing added, or could, could we use the phrase organic? <laughs> uh, it's not affected by outside sources. It's pure. It's unaffected by anything else. The Bible is always comparing uh, the Word of God to, to different things. It says the Word of God is compared to to, to me, it's compared to foods, it's compared to water, it's compared to bread. One of my favorites is when the Word of God is compared to honey. Psalm 119, 103, it says, How sweet, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. That's the Word of God. It talks about that. Now here, Peter begins to compare the Word of God to pure milk, and he paints a very vivid picture. Every parent, and especially, especially moms, uh, can really grasp uh, this picture of what he's talking about. He's talking about as a baby craves milk. As a baby craves spiritual milk. Peter wants believers, he wants you and me, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wants us to crave God's Word. Just like a baby craves milk, he wants us to crave God's Word. Did you know that... Uh, that a baby is born with a natural craving for milk. Did you know that? Well, when they come out of the womb, they're ready for milk. It's a natural 
craving that has a natural desire. And Peter is saying, when we have been born again, when we are new followers of Jesus Christ, we are to crave spiritual milk. It's in our DNA. It's who we are. And I am prepared to say, this is where you're going to get mad at me right here, okay? So just keep, I'm just telling that right up front, okay? I am prepared to say that a person who has no desire, no desire to read the Word of God, to study the Word of God, no desire to, to crave the Word of God, they need to go back and see if they're a follower of Jesus. Because Peter says, as a newborn believer, you are to crave spiritual milk. And if you're not craving it, Maybe you've never been born again. Listen, you don't have to teach a baby to want milk. <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day. You don't have to diagram and draw a picture for the baby to understand how to take milk. You point that baby in the right direction, he'll get the milk. The moment a baby is born... He craves the milk. He craves the milk. That's the way we should be in our desire for God's Word. We should long for it. We should crave it. Suppose you came to me one Sunday before the services. You came to me and you looked all puny. I said, oh, Pastor, I just don't feel good. I feel weak. I feel run down. I, I just don't know what's wrong with me. I said, well... Did you take your medicine? Oh, yeah, I took all my medicine. I said, well, did you eat anything? Well, no, I don't eat. No, I only eat on Sundays. So you go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You don't eat anything. But you come on Sunday, you take one meal on Sunday. You know what I do? Somebody get this person a sandwich. Get them a donut or something. But yet you'll be surprised how many people, the only feeding of God's Word they get is on Sunday morning. And they only get it from the preacher. Man, you're hurting. You're hurting. You only get it from the preacher. And you wonder why you're so spiritually weak. You wonder why you can't fight the temptations. You wonder why you can't endure the struggles. It's because you're not even craving the milk of God's Word. You wonder why you're so spiritually weak. Why are we to crave God's Word? Why are we to crave God's Word like a, a baby craves milk? He tells us in verse 3. Or verse 2, I'm sorry. So that. By it. By what? By God's Word. By God's Word. You may grow up in your salvation. You may grow up. In your salvation. That's what he's telling us. Here's what he's saying. You do not grow up to be a mature Christian by osmosis. You can't, you can't lay the baby down by mama's breast or by a bottle. And they just suddenly get the milk by osmosis. They have to take it. And what is it? David says, your word is like honey in my mouth. Honey. You crave it. You desire it. He says, there's something you have to do. 
to grow up in your salvation. Listen, you do not grow up in your salvation by attending church and singing songs. You do not grow up in your salvation by being part of a fellowship group. You do not grow up in your salvation by socializing. You grow up in your salvation when you study God's Word and you apply it to your life. That's the way you grow up. That's the way you grow up in your faith. That's when you become bulked up in your faith. Listen, folks, we live in troubling times. We live in difficult times. Just this past week, maybe some of y'all read this as well. I don't know if you read it. If you, if you read the book I gave you, I don't know. You know, I can't make you read the book. Only you can read the book. You know, maybe I should have done a video, an audio cassette and turned it over here and me read the book. One thing that stood out in that book, it said that of the, the boomer generation, that's us. No, not me, but, well, I'm the boomer, but the, the builders. That's most of us, in this, most of you in this room. Two-thirds of them were believers. Two-thirds. Two-thirds of that buster, that, that, not the boomer, the ones pre-war, those individuals, the one before the boomers. Two-thirds of them are believers. But of the millennials, that's 80 million people, millennials. Only 12 million, I believe. One in four. Or one in five. It's one in five. Only one in five. Folks, we are losing. We've already lost an entire generation. We've lost the millennials. Because we've lost the millennials, we're losing generation X, generation Y. And I was moved by that. So we can, you know, we can sit here as a church and say, hey, it's okay. We're going to go to heaven. We're going to go to heaven. And say, I don't care if everybody else goes to hell. Or, or, we could say, what's it going to take? What's it going to take to communicate the truth of God's Word to a dying people? in desperate need of Jesus. So that, so that they might grow up in their salvation. There's things we have to do. That's a timeless truth. God's Word, God's Word is living and it's lasting. It has the ability to save or to lead people to salvation. It has the ability to sanctify. It has the ability of, to sustain people. All of God's Word. From Genesis all the way to Revelation. Paul put it this way in Romans 15.4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. As we read God's Word, as we meditate upon God's Word, as we study God's Word, and we realize we are living in troubling times, God's Word gives us hope. <laughs> there is a better day. There is a brighter tomorrow. There is hope in the midst of troubling time. It gives us endurance. It gives us encouragement. And we get all that from studying God's Word. God's Word is able to accomplish 
what it intends to accomplish when we take it seriously. It can do it. We are to stand firm in what we believe and continue to proclaim the truth of God's Word. It's living and it's lasting and it will not change. It does not change. We are to change after reading the Word of God. What do we do with this passage today? It's my hope and my desire that after leaving here, you will become more in love with God's Word and really want to dig into it and read it, read it, and then allow God's Word to read you and transform your life. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, a time where you respond to what you've heard today. Whatever decision God would lead you to make, maybe it's to be a part of this fellowship of believers, maybe it's to recommit your life to, to Bible study, uh, recommit your life to Christ. You can do that right where you're at. Maybe for some of you said, I want to know how to receive Jesus. We can tell you how to do that. Would you stand with me as I lead us in a time of prayer? Kip's going to come and lead us in a, a song. I'll be here at the front if you want to talk with somebody as we pray. Father, we come before you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we can get together. We can study your word. We can worship. We can exalt Christ. Hopefully, Father, we can equip the church so that, Lord, we can engage the community where you placed us. Speak to our hearts this morning, Father. Reveal your truth to us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.